is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. You know, when, when Jimmy texted this morning, um, you know, it was, it was kind of funny. I kind of felt like right off the get-go, I kind of felt like, you know, God put on my heart, you know, something. So I was like, okay, we'll, we'll go with that. So I, I sat down and, and thought about it and wrote some, some thoughts down. So, you know, this time of year, there's many resolutions. Actually, by this time of year, most people have broken their resolutions two weeks in. But the, the resolutions that, w- that we hear about typically are the eating better, the losing weight, exercising, getting organized. <clears throat> but I read one when I was looking at what different resolutions there were. And one that I saw was improving relationships. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So to improve means to make better. So those relationships that we have, whether good or bad, we want to make better. So the latter is not so easy. So I wanted to encourage us this morning how to accomplish the goal of improving those relationships by loving. Now, what do I mean by that? I want to encourage us this year to love the right way. So, I think we're all familiar with the story of uh, this story. So, let's look at it. In Luke 10, uh, verses 25 through 28. And uh, I'll read that here. On one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this, and you will live. So the expert said to Jesus, he said, the What Jesus had said, if you remember in Mark, I think it was, Jesus said the greatest commandments were to love the Lord your God and to love your, and the next is like this, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So loving the Lord your God is the greatest commandment, and we'll save that for another talk. Jesus also said loving your neighbor is like it. So let's talk about that. If you remember, the man asked who his neighbor was. So we all know the story of the Good Samaritan. So the man falls to the robbers. He's on the side of the road. Those who you would think would have shown love passed him by. But the one who would have been an enemy, so to speak, that you would not expect to show love is the one who showed the love. We all know the story. So if you remember on the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? You've heard it said, love your, uh, hate your enemies, love your neighbors. And hate your enemies, but Jesus said, love your enemies. So what does that look like? If we say love, Jimmy has told us many times, love is not just a word, it's an action. So what does that action look like? So to love the right way, we have to have the right actions. So what are those actions? There's many, we could talk for hours about all the things that Scripture says, how we are to live and show love. 
I wanted to look at just a couple of the things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So Paul tells us, this is what love looks like in action. And I'm just going to take a couple of these. There's several. But if, but if you look at them and think about it, they all kind of overlap. I mean, one, if you do one, you kind of automatically do one of the others. So they all kind of fit together, these things that Paul tells us how to love in action. So the first one, love is patient. I'm not a patient person. Ask my wife. She'll be the first to tell you patience is something that I struggle with. Uh, so what, what, does, what is patience? So I looked up patience in the dictionary, which made me think even more that I'm not a patient person. <clears throat> the dictionary says that patience is the ability to wait without becoming annoyed or upset. The ability not to become annoyed with problems or difficult people. So, wow, that's not easy. I know it's hard to be patient with me because I'm one of those difficult people. So, with that being said, and Paul says, to love is to be patient. So that means that we need to wait and deal with difficulties without becoming annoyed, without becoming angry. I'm not going to give us a whole lot of how to do that, but for me, it's a lot of prayer. So... I think praying for patience is, is something that we all need to do. I know it's something I need to do. But to show love is to show patience. Love is kind. <clears throat> I think that kind of goes with the patience. If I'm patient, I'm going to be kind. To be kind is to treat others with respect, with compassion, with mercy. So that means that's with our words that's with our attitude. You know, you don't have to say something unkind to be unkind to somebody. We can be unkind to somebody just in the way we are countenance with them, our attitude. So kindness is something that, that is not just words, although our words need to be kind. Our words need to be building up and not tearing down. But kindness is much more than just our words. So love is kind. Uh, love is not self-seeking. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I went through these. Every one of these, I went, boy, I need to work on that. Boy, I need to work on that. And I think we're, if we're all honest, we all need to work on these things. Love is not self-seeking. I'm a selfish person. <laughs> I think, in general, people are selfish. I mean, it, it's just <laughs> it's one of those natural things. It's one of those things we have to fight against being selfish. So what is selfish? <clears throat> the first thing that comes to my mind is it's not all about me. See, Jamie seems to always think it is all about me. It's hard for me. Uh, choosing the TV program when we're watching TV. Choosing, you know, where we go to eat. What we, My wife says, if I had my way, we'd eat barbecue every night. And and she's probably right. I've, I've tried to recently be more, <laughs> be more letting her choose where we eat, not always barbecue. But, but selfish is a tendency that, that is natural. You know, Jimmy always tells us, 
put others before ourselves. I think that's exactly what Paul is saying. Love puts others first. The fourth one, love holds no record of wrongs. So, so what does that mean? It means love doesn't hold a grudge. That's another one that we struggle with, that I struggle with. It's hard to, to not, when someone wrongs us, to, to not want to get even or to not treat them harshly or to be unkind. When we hold a grudge, we are unkind. So love does not hold a grudge. Love forgives. So I think that's one of the things that, uh, that love is that, that Paul is talking about. And, and many of these, like I said before, it's, it's really great how these all tie together because if we don't hold a grudge, we're going to be kind and we're going to be patient. All these things kind of tie together and is what love is. So many of the other things that Paul mentions in 13, and you can read through chapter 13. It's a, it's a great, great chapter. They all go together. So you go on and on. One thing I want you to notice if, if you read through chapter 13, one of, the, one of the big things I want you to notice, though, is the word unless is not in there anywhere. So Paul does not say, say love is patient unless this person keeps getting on my last nerve. Paul does not say love is kind unless this person has treated me unkindly. Love doesn't hold a grudge unless this person has done something really mean to me. There is no unless in anything that Paul says in there. We love not because others treat us a certain way or love us. We love because God has called us to love. So, and, and that kind of goes back to, and I said I'd save it for another talk, but you know, the first greatest commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Part of that Loving God is loving others because if we love God, we'll do what He's told us to do, what He's commanded us to do, and He has commanded us to love others. So part of our loving Him is loving others. So, last thing I want you to notice. I told you at the beginning that love is not something we say, but it's an action. It's how we act towards others. Notice the wording, love is patient. Love is kind. Love puts others first. Love does not hold a grudge. Those are not words that don't come with an action. It is an action. It's how we act. So, all that to say that this year, as we love others, live it out. Show it. Love the right way. Don't just say you love, but show you love. So, Back to that resolution that people said they wanted to improve relationships. So, so, I, so I have a question for you. Relate, when we love people, it's just not the people we know. It could be showing love. I could be kind and patient with the person in line at the grocery store. We love everybody. God's called us to love all, not just those that we know or those who love us. So love is, is, is something that we do in every aspect of our life. Coworkers, you know, it's kind of odd to say I love my coworker, but that's what God's called us to do. And love is an action, like I said, so we can be kind to our coworkers, patient, 
etc. So, so in kind of, in kind of finishing this up, I'm not going 15 minutes. Micah can have that. So, one of the things that Dick Lane always says in his little talks he sends out, and and as you saw this morning, at the end of it, he always leads leads in prayer to help in that virtue that he's talked about. You know, these things, loving like Christ loved, loving unconditionally, this, all these things that we talked about, human nature struggles with that. I can't love like Christ loved without Christ's help. So I think these are things that we have to pray. God, help me to be patient. Help me to be kind. These are all things we need to pray God help us with because on our own, it's not things that we will do naturally. So, that being said, let me lead us in prayer and, uh, and go out and love like God's called us to love. Love the right way. Lord, we come, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you loved us first, that you love us unconditionally. Lord, help us to love like you love. Help us to be patient, kind, not hold a grudge. All the things that, that you say love is. Help us to put those things into action with everyone. Even our enemies, that's hard to say, Lord, but help us to love our enemies. Help us to love like you've called us to love. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to share from John 13. And I think this very much goes along with what Jamie was saying. In John 13, we have the familiar story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And if you remember, this was a... Um, time when Jesus was about to be crucified. He was, this was the last time, um, you know, Jesus had, it was in the last hours before his crucifixion. And of course, he still had time with his uh, disciples at, at the, uh, before the ascension. But I want to look in John 13 here. It says, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So what do we see in these verses? Jesus went and made himself a servant. And if we look in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, we see that Jesus was part of the kingly line. He should have been king. If the Romans hadn't been in control, and if um, the, the Israelite people were self-governing, you know, he would have been part of this royal family who should have been being served. But yet Jesus, it says, was now about to show them the full extent of his love, and he did that by taking the form of a servant here and washing 
his, his disciples' feet. And, um, and then we, we read down, and of course there's a discourse here between he and Simon Peter, um, but if you skip down to t- verse 12, he said, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. We're to show each other servanthood. We are to be servants to one another. I have set you an example that, that you should do as I have done for you. Right there in that verse, we often talk about you know, what we see Jesus doing and then trying to emulate Jesus and, and help become like Jesus through the parables and through his teachings and how he, he helped people. But in this example, this is something where Jesus does it and then turns around and says, do this, you know, be a servant to one another. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So people have, um, you know, sociologists and psychologists or whoever have classified different relationships that people have and how classified different ways people show those relationships to others. And, you know, one, one thing people talk about is, is that having a, a projective relationship, which is kind of a selfish way of viewing it. You know, this is something that, that I want, and I'm going to try to project myself onto you to get you to do what I want. We see this, you know, salesmen have a, have, have a bad rap and, you know, have gotten a bad name. Often you go on to a car lot, and they tell you, oh, I've got just the car for you. Well, I, I bet you've got just the car you want to sell me. You know, it's this, this attitude of, you know, I see something in you that I want out of you. And uh, we also see examples in society of relationships where you want other people to look up at you and edify you. We see this with... Um, uh, celebrities, sports stars, where they might not be trying to get something out of you, like in a projective relationship, but they want you to think highly of them. There's a sense of being proud. There's a sense of having pride. And so what they do focuses on, on them and how they relate to you. Whether they're famous or, you know, we all know people that we think, oh, you know, that person thinks very highly of themselves. But Jesus here shows us a different kind of of way of classifying our relationship, and that is to take this love and to turn it into a servant relationship where we serve one another. And And in Philippians 2, Paul takes it a step further. In Philippians 2, verse 1, it says, If you have any encouragement... From being united with Christ, if any comfort 
from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is a servant mentality there. Look at other people as being better than yourself. But what Paul does here is he, he now couples it with unity. It says, if, you have, um, if you've any encouragement from being united with Christ, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. What Jamie spoke about, about loving one another, and what is love? Well, I think Jesus now and Paul now here takes it and says, well, you show each other love by being servants and being servants in a like-minded way. So not just individually are we to serve one another, but in a like-minded, unified way as a body we are to be serving one another just as Jesus loved us or loved the disciples and washed his feet. We are now to turn around and serve others. And then verse 5, I think, is, is very, um, um, very, a very strong verse. It says, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You look back to John 13 that we read, that's the attitude that we need to have. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what did Jesus say after he washed his disciples' feet? He said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So what we have <clears throat> is a situation where we are to love one another. And Paul, as Jamie pointed out, tells us how, what love is. And then Jesus gives us that example of love by washing on other feet, and Paul ties that in by saying you are to be united in being, in being servants. So the challenge that I would have in 2022 is let's take this year to be unified in serving one another, not have a proud attitude, not have an attitude where we try to get stuff out of people, but whether we see what people need and we are then able to help them with that need, thinking others as better than ourselves. Yes, and I will. Let's let me pray here. Lord, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to come and and read about uh, the example you give us to be servants. And I pray that we can, in all our our relationships that we have with people, we can have an attitude where we. Uh, value the person over ourselves and that we can uh, serve them in their need 
and show them the love uh, that you have shown the disciples in, in John 13, and uh, that we could be unified as a, as a body in doing this. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we've heard so far that we're to love the right way by working on relationships the way Jesus wants us to. And my takeaway from the day is that word, unless. That was a great, just, just in your face, you can't get around that one. And then to serve, thank you, Matt, for that. I, I think that um, if, you, if you were to break Christianity, if you, were, if you were to break, not Christianity, if you were to break following Jesus down, it would break down fairly simply into your personal relationship with the Lord, which is somewhat invisible to us. I, I, even Jesus said the Spirit is like the wind. It blows, you can see the trees moving, but you, and you know something's happening, which you, you, it's a little hard to see exactly what. But when you follow Christ correctly, when you love correctly, when you serve correctly, then it manifests itself into human relationships. And so I follow the same track. My thought was um, that where we need... And, and if, you've, if you've heard me talk much at all in my life, you'll hear this particular theme over and over, but I've, this is what I felt this morning, and I'll be reading from Ephesians. What we need as believers is to have our closest relationships verify and validate what we say. Um, I read an article that C.S. Lewis wrote, and it was a... It was a painful article, even painful for me, and it was this. He said he had gone to a church, I don't know if it was his church or not, but he was invited to, to the pastor's house for dinner afterwards. And he said the, the sermon that morning had been on family relationships, and he extolled family as sort of heaven on earth. And C.S. Lewis, who had grown up in a very uh, tough environment, a family environment, said, his opinion, to say that it was heaven on earth was to far overstate and unfortunately to just incorrectly assume um, what family life generally is. And so the, the article went on to t his perspective on what it should look like. So we're going to go to Ephesians. Um, I'm going to start in chapter 4. <clears throat> I, when I was growing up, I memorized Ephesians 4.32, be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And nobody put the verse on in front of it for me. So we're going to start in verse 31. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander, must be removed from you, along with all malice. And be ye kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So my challenge for us this morning, looking forward, is this. If you, as a, as a person, so if Jamie as a husband, now I guess your kids are grown and gone now, so as a husband, or for myself as a father and a husband, whatever your role is, if, if your family doesn't see Christ in you daily, then, then our church is going to suffer long-term. Let me explain why. Because there is going, everyone has a chance to, as they grow, they have the choice to make. Am I going to follow Christ? Am I going to follow myself? But if you make it difficult for them by being 
um, a hypocrite, by not loving correctly, by not loving intentionally, by not serving, then you are going to, um, then our church is going to suffer long term. Or whatever church that your child might belong to is going to suffer long term because you are not, you are not helping them begin to follow Christ correctly and to love correctly. And one of the ways that it happens often, it frustrates me because it's even in myself. And we actually saw it, for those of you who are in Sunday school this morning, um, Moses, who the scripture says was the meekest man that ever lived. And in our lesson this morning was on the, uh, the Israelites making the golden calf and worshiping the golden calf. And Moses is on the mountain with the Lord. He's the meekest man that ever lived, but he had an anger problem. And so we have the, five, the first five books of the Bible crediting him for. <clears throat> and he takes, he takes two stone tablets that the Scripture says were made by God. You talk about priceless. I asked the kids this morning, how would you define this? It says, the Lord made these tablets, and he wrote with his finger front and back on those tablets. If an archaeologist could find that today, there isn't a museum in the world that would be able to afford those things. It would be the most priceless artifact that has ever been dug up on the planet. Moses comes down the mountain, and when he comes down and he hears and rightly, rightly gets angry because the people have that fast switched their allegiance, and he takes in anger, just plain old human and is written in history. And Moses, no matter his reputation, no matter how wonderful a man he is, we know him because he threw the Ten Commandments and broke them, and he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. He was kept from the promised land because of his anger, even though his overall character was great, and it was in the context of his relationship with that larger body. This morning I was out milking cows, and cows are not Christians, by the way. <clears throat> Sometimes I think they're demon-possessed, but I know they're not Christians. And this morning, I, I, was, I had a cow that calved this week. She was a heifer, and so she was new to the whole process, and she is way down on a totem pole. And in, in a cow herd, there is a big mama. And then there's a second biggest mama and a third biggest mama all the way down to the bottom. And sometimes the bull, I mean, he'll bull rank way down because big mama's got it. Well, I had my, my youngest one, the one I was trying to train to come into the head stall and milk, I had her on a tether by the barn. And for purely no other reason than that, she was not supposed to be there. Doesn't she know her place? She is not supposed to be first in line. I'm out there this morning, and the cows are just beating up on her. And I've got my stick, and I'm telling you, as I was swinging that thing, coming down on a cow, like Moses, I'm t I felt like Moses, I, you stupid, and I'm coming down on that cow, and I realize how much anger is in my heart. And I'm, I'm defending the defenseless, the cow that can't get away because she's tethered, that the, that the other cows are bullying. And I parried the blow slightly because I could, feel that, I could feel what I was doing as I was doing it. And just a little bit, Landon walked in the door coming to get his milk, so I was calmed down slightly when we got there. 
But the reality is, is no matter how good your character is, it's in those moments when you are with those you love the most and those you're closest to that you react wrongly and you can do the most damage. And so it's really easy for me as a father in the trenches of life, something goes wrong. And in that moment that something goes wrong, I cause something to happen in my life. I allow the anger to get a hold of me. I allow whatever it is to just take hold for a moment, and I react wrongly to the people that I love the most, and I hurt those who I should be protecting the most. I hurt them the most. <clears throat> and do you know what happens? Oftentimes what happens is they begin to get a wrong view of who God is long-term because I'm treating them incorrectly. My relationship with my wife. If, they, if my kids grow up and my relationship with my wife is such that they view it negatively, what's the possibility that my children may be the ones in the next generation to say, yeah, marriage is not for me. I'll just find somebody and live with them for a while and violate the things that God has given us as believers to follow. I choose, in a large way, I choose what my children will believe by how I live out what I believe. And so it's really easy. So my vision for us, if I could give it, because this is my vision for myself, honestly, is that today is not just today. My action right now is not just an action that is consequential in the moment. All of those things come from way back here and they sweep forward and they collect in the lives of your children as they move forward until your children are grown-ups. And they are a reflection in a large part of how you raise them. So if I can keep a vision when I'm in the trenches when I'm just about to strike out in anger because something has frustrated me and I don't have the patience to deal with it, and I am not being a servant at the moment, if the Holy Spirit can speak faster than my mouth can run or my hand can move, and he can stop me from doing or saying that thing, I have won a victory, not just right now. I've won a victory for the future. My vision has reached forward in that moment, and the church long-term will be stronger for it. Now, when it, comes to, when it comes to family relationships, they're the hardest things to deal with because I can love a coworker, but I don't have to go home to him. Unless, you know, my husband and wife work together and then you kind of are stuck, and that can be a little bit of a tough situation. Um, Dietrich was, he said something about that yesterday. We were having, a, Melissa and I were having a discussion. It wasn't an argument, it was a discussion. It was friendly. And I said something and he's like, yeah, in this situation, you have to sleep with the woman if she's mad at you. So the reality is, is where we are with our lives in any given moment is not just any given moment. And C.S. Lewis again said that. He said, I'm, he said I believe that the, the soldier, because he served in World War I, he said, I believe that the soldier in the trench has a very limited perspective of the war. And he was speaking from experience. He said, I'm down in the trench. I've got mud up to my knees. I'm cold and tired, and the only thing I really want to do is go home. But I know that when my commander says, climb the wall and charge the enemy, I have to. He said, I have no idea what's going on. It's the commander way back in the, in the office running everything that actually can see the scope of the war. My job is to obey from this trench forward. But I do think at the same time that I as a dad, when I'm standing in that trench, or you as a mother or a husband, wife, whatever, when you're standing in that trench and you're knee-deep in the mud of life and, you're, and you are struggling with the things that press you down, 
I think that when we talk together, when we serve each other correctly, when we love, when others love on us correctly, and we can love back, that we can maintain a vision that's greater than just the trench, because it does help be able to see forward and see that our actions have consequences. So I'm going to scoot forward to chapter 5, and we're going to close out with this, because this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is the most difficult part of it. Verse 15, I'm going to just jump through here. Pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another the fear of the Lord. That's loving correctly, that's serving each other, that's serving each other as a body, but within our own homes. And then, I'm going to read the rub. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as the Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Did you catch the vision? Very practical reality. You wives, submit to your husbands, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Not just because I told you, but because there's a much bigger picture here. The world will see that picture even when they don't necessarily know you personally. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Uh, verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And then, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise, that it may go well with you and you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Very practical, but if you can tie vision to it, and if you can say that this not it isn't just a command, but this is a command that looks into the future because we're raising a generation that will replace us someday. I'll be. I stopped by. I stopped by the uh, cemetery. Yes, two days ago, where Sam Cox is buried. And it was so weird. I was just standing there looking at his gravestone and 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 thinking about being up here singing with him and like. And then realizing someday, unless the Lord comes first, someday there will be a hole in the ground and Micah Beachy will be in there. Somebody may stand and look at my gravestone. Will I have held a vision forward of servanthood, of loving correctly, and will my family be able to pass on the torch so that that person can see Jesus in me even when I'm underground? So my vision for us this morning is to make loving right and serving right be first and foremost in our families. And if we could all take on that, and we could raise children that don't get a bad view of Jesus and the, and the Father because of our actions, the world's going to notice all around us. All right? Father, thank you. Huh? Father, thank you so much um, for the opportunity to speak and to um, hear from Jamie and from Matt on what you would have for us this, this year. And Lord, it doesn't really change. Um, 
the things that you want for us that are universal, the things that you wanted for your church since you established it. And, uh, but it's good to be reminded again and again of the things that are just as mundane as can be, and yet they are as profound and right and true as the, uh, the day they were penned in this, in this book that we read. I pray, Father, um, for each of the husbands in this room. Lord, we love imperfectly, and yet you said we're to love like you did because we represent Christ loving the church to the world. That is our reason for loving that way. And you said to the wives that they're to submit and they're to respect their husbands because that is what the church is supposed to do to you, and that is the world's view of it. And you said to children to, to honor your parents and to obey your parents because, frankly, that's what we look like here on earth as we strive individually to obey you as our Father. Lord, if we can manage this, and if we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put away bitterness, put away malice, put away anger, and replace it with love, loving the right way, with kindness, with servanthood, with humility, and we can do it first and foremost to those that are closest to us. Those around us will notice. And I pray, Lord, that it would be not a noticing of, wow, those people are really nice, Wow, those people have power that I don't have. You said if we can love each other, we don't have to forget loving our enemies. The world will notice if we love each other. Help us to love each other in this new world, in this new year. Help us to serve each other and to, um, with humility in our hearts, serve each other the right way, loving the right way, and to um, particularly in our homes. And Lord, I stand here as a broken person. I stand here as someone who has the same thing Moses had, an anger issue and an inability sometimes to, to see the vision forward. And so I pray for those of us who are in this position, that you would forgive us, that you would remind us, and that you would give our kids enough grace to forgive us when we fail as well. We lift you up, though, because you are worthy. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.